0: Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome
1: to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show.
0: April Fool's
1: Day. I hope you didn't get pranked too badly. I once got married on April Fool's Day. Guess how that worked out? (laughs) Not well. If you're listening for the first time, this is a radio program where we tell it exactly the way it is. We do everything we can every week to assist entrepreneurs by bringing you the latest information every week, telling you what's happening, and bringing you up to date with business across the planet. We're also very proud of the fact that we're the number one radio show globally for entrepreneurs, and we thank every one of you listeners for that. We really do appreciate it. I'm very interested in your comments on my new website, so which is, of course, www.bobpritchard.com. So please drop me an email at bob at, bob at bobpritchard.com and let me know what you think. We've had a good response to the site so far, but I'd love to hear what your views are. Now, my big issue with wearables like Google Glass and smartwatches is that they're so bloody unattractive. Well, maybe helps on the way. Google's just partnered with Ray ban and Oakley to make glass a bit more stylish. You know, they really trying to make that um, glass headset worth wearing. They've just announced that they'll be working with the Otica group to bring designs from Ray Brand, Oakley, Vogue Eyewear and other designers to its wearables. Google says that it envisions glass as a natural evolution of everyday eyeglasses since they're a a reflection of both function and fashion. They believe that glass represents the next chapter. I went to a presentation last week by Machia Kaku, who is a theoretical physicist and television host. You've seen him on television a lot. In fact, if you're watching, I think, the um, Good Morning America, I think this morning he was on. He's an extraordinary speaker. And among a wide variety of simply amazing topics he spoke about, was an almost unbelievable development in, in contact lenses, where the contact lens will actually act as a computer and provide you with all the information you need without those cumbersome, ugly glasses. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, it was a great presentation. If you have a, a chance to go and see Professor Kaku, it is well, worthwhile is brilliant. Now, Google still hasn't revealed when glass will launch and it hasn't specified when we'll see designs from the Luxodia Group. The company did say, however, that the technology will not appear on your favourite glasses anytime really soon. Now, this news comes just a few weeks after Google announced that it will offer prescription options for glass. And according to the Wall Street Journal, Google's partnership with Luxottica could bring glass to more than 5,000 retail stores across the US, since they also control lens crafters and sunglass hat retailers. So we're hoping we'll learn more about glass and how much it's going to cost for consumers sometime this year. One thing's for certain. I reckon anyway, that it's highly unlikely to hit the market at 1500 bucks a pair because I think that sounds like a deal-breaker for most of its potential market. And we're finally getting to the stage where we can understand what we'll be able to do with Google's new smartwatches. Google plans to bring Android to smartwatches. It's part of its Android Wear platform. Now, Android Wear is going to primarily focus on bringing snippets of information to your wrist that you can view very quickly just by glancing. You know, things like um, Google Maps, current weather. Um, You'll be able to conduct Google searches just by speaking into your watch. You won't have to type on it. And uh, your text messages and social media updates will just appear on your wrist. But what is cool is that you can reply by speaking out loud into the watch. Real Dick Tracy stuff. Your smartwatch could also display updates from your favourite sports teams. It can help you find the name of artists on a song that's currently playing. It'll display updates on your flight status. That'll be handy for me because I'm always missing planes. And your boarding pass barcode will be delivered directly to your wrist. So no more having the inconvenience, the absolute inconvenience of having to carry a bloody ticket. (laughs) Your watch will also display fitness notifications. it will find nearby areas of interest based on your location, like bars, and show you nearby transportation info. So, you know, you're going to get a hell of a lot of information just out of your watch. Now, all they need to do to get me over the line is to produce a decent-looking watch and not one that looks like a clunky television set. Now, um, Apple needs to pull a rabbit out of the hat. I reckon I've been talking to a bunch of people who um, have been using the Samsung, and, jeez, it's a great phone. Um, I was just reflecting on the last few years and amazed how fickle we are. Um, We wanted a smartphone that would fit in our pocket. And when iPads came out, they were an annoying size. They wouldn't fit in your pocket and they seemed cumbersome to carry. Then came the phablet, which is sort of that phone hybrid, phone tablet hybrid. Huge, six inch by three inch screen, which is also cumbersome but nearly a quarter of all smartphones shipped worldwide in the third quarter of last year had displays of more than five inches. Now, rumour has it that Apple is planning an upgrade for the iPhone 6, which is probably coming out in about September. And, uh, God, from its four-inch display, which now looks really puny against the Samsung Galaxy... So, if this big screen iPhone happens, it'll be because Samsung's Galaxy proved that consumers want big screens. You know, on the big screen, I, I used one at the weekend. Um, <coughs> excuse me for for a little bit of time. I've used them before, but not really thought about it too much. Um, but on on the big screen, YouTube videos look fantastic. And you could read long articles without straining your eyes. You're not sort of squinting all the time. Photos just look a million percent better. Um, and even something as simple as scrolling through Twitter was much better experience on that small screen. So big screens are here to stay. They provide an amazing overall experience. Everything a little phone can do, a big phone can do better, except... They won't fit in your pocket, but that's all right. It makes up for it. They're really brilliant. So if Apple doesn't release a big phone this year, it's going to be left in the dust, I reckon, as more people decide to switch to Samsung and other phones, big phones, so that they can get their big phone fix. Maybe it's good news that suppliers of LCD panels for Apple's new iPhone apparently are ramping up production in line with we've been talking about when they're going to come out Um, they're not coming out till September so they're going to give Samsung somewhere around six months start and the way people are switching there's going to be a hell of a lot of damage done in that six months but rumour has it that the new iPhone expected to be called the iPhone 6 will likely be offered in 4.7 and 5.5 inch versions both of which are a hell of a lot better than the 4-inch screen that we have now. I hadn't thought about my screen. I was perfectly happy with my iPhone 4-inch screen. I'm not now. (laughs) Manufacturers have apparently been making such components as fingerprint sensors and chips for liquid crystal drivers. So the new handset's display resolution is expected to be significantly better than that of the current model's. When you know, when you look around and see, you know, what things that you think are um, going to be big over the next few years, and I've said for the last couple of years that I think drones are going to be the big disruptor as well as 3D printers, and I've got no doubt that drones are going to be a, play a major part in our lives, but they could also be the next big threat to your privacy because... The next whirring sound you hear might be a drone hovering over your head while you're walking down the street. Hackers have developed a drone that can steal the contents of your smartphone from your location data right through to your passwords, and they've been testing it out in the skies of London. The technology equipped with the drone, known as Snoopy, looks for mobile devices with wi-fi settings turned on. So if you're walking down the street, you've got your cell phone, your wi-fi settings on, bang. Snoopy takes advantage of a feature built into all small small <laughs> start again. Built into all smartphones and tablets, when mobile devices try to connect to the internet, they look for networks that they've accessed in the past. So your phone will be sitting there shouting out the name of every network it's ever connected to. That's when Snoopy swoops in, sending back a signal pretending to be networks that you've connected with in the past. So devices two feet apart could both make connections with the quadcopter, each thinking it is a different, trusted Wi-Fi network. When the phone's connect to the drone, Snoopy intercepts everything that is sent out and received. Woo! That includes all the sites you visit, credit card information entered or saved on different sites, your location data, your usernames, your passwords. Now, each phone has a unique identification number, MAC address, which the drone uses to tie the information and the traffic to the device. Now, CNN money during the week took Snoopy out for a spin in London and in less than an hour of flying, obtained network names and GPS coordinates for about 150 mobile devices in an hour. So one drone <laughs> plucked all the information from 150 mobile devices and we're worried about the NSA. crikey I think at least the NSA are going to rip off your money. Well, maybe not. Now, Snoopy was also able to obtain usernames and passwords for Amazon, PayPal, and Yahoo accounts. Collecting data, metadata or the device IDs and network names, it's probably not illegal. However, intercepting usernames, passwords, and credit card information with the intent of using them at using them, would probably violate wiretapping and identity theft laws, I guess. Maybe collecting metadata is illegal as well. I'm not sure. I'll try and find out during the week and I'll talk to you about it next week. Installing the technology on drones creates a powerful threat because drones are mobile and they're out of sight. I mean, if they're hovering above your head, unless you're walking around staring into space, you're not going to see them. You're certainly not going to hear them above street noise. And they can be able to follow you undetected. You know, it's bad enough that they can follow you to your girlfriend's place or whatever. But being able to um, intercept everything on your phone, that's a bit much. Of course, as well as being used for bad stuff, could also be used for law enforcement and public safety. Um, I'm not sure how well you'd go with a judge trying to get a a court order to have Snoopy listen in on um, calls being made during a riot or while somebody's suspected of going to be robbing a bank tomorrow. I'm not sure that that would fly. Oh, well the joys of modern technology because apart from drones I think the next big disruptive change will be 3D printers now my local office depot now has a 3D printer although very limited in scope but it's interesting to walk into office depot and see a 3D printer on the bench local motors is planning to 3D print a car in five days now This concept's nothing new, and later this year, local motors will 3D print an electric vehicle in just five days at the International Manufacturing Technology Show in Chicago. Now, a couple of years ago, the company got a lot of publicity by building an entire rally fighter off-roader at the show over six days, but 3D printing a car presents some different challenges. This is the whole car, everything. And the demonstration is designed to show how advanced manufacturing techniques can deliver a stronger, faster, safer and more efficient vehicle. Other than being electric, no details about the powertrain have yet been revealed. But they're aiming to deliver a sustainable green product. One that reduces production cost, but also creates job opportunities. Hopefully, it'll be stunning to look at and fun to drive, but ultimately, it needs to be a car that people want to buy. You know, when I think about, I don't know why it should be any more labor intensive than, say, a Tesla, where they have very few people on the um, assembly line at Tesla, In fact, it's like one person with an iPad. So I'm not sure why 3D printing a car is going to use too many more people. Now, this program's all about entrepreneurs. We salute you whether you've just opened a dry cleaner or you've invented a new app. We don't care if you're 100 or we don't care if you're 14. If you're an entrepreneur and you have enough guts to go out there and give it a go, We're a big fan, and we'll do everything we can to assist you. You know, when you're an entrepreneur, you put a hell of a lot on the line. You know, you put all your savings on the line. You put your time on the line. You put relationships on the line. You put your nerves on the line. You know, it's bloody stressful being an entrepreneur. So if you're out there giving it a go, that's fantastic, and we applaud you. It's also very rewarding and far more rewarding than many other things that you can do. But only very few succeed. And by listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, we hope we give you some advice that helps you succeed. We're the number one show in the world for entrepreneurs. And so no matter where you are on the planet, we thank you very much for listening. Now, after the break, I'm going to be talking to Jay Samet. He's a really good guy. He pioneered the first video on computers, the first internet auction, digital distribution of music ebooks, and a group group video chat on mobile devices jay 's raised hundreds of millions of dollars for startups, sold companies to fortune five hundred firms, and taken companies public jay 's last company, Uvu, with one hundred million registered users was named the 2012 Venture Company of the Year, and his video chat app was named Best App Technology in 2013. He's a hell of a good guy. Uh, We belong to the same group, Metal, in um, Santa Monica, California, which is a phenomenal group of um, alpha leaders. He's also a member of the Magic Castle and got me some passes, so I love him forever. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, and I'll be back with Jay in just a moment.
0: Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio
1: Show. Now, this is the part of the show where we talk to extraordinary people. People that have enjoyed great success. People that are really making a difference out there there are just some amazingly talented people in this world and i i love to speak with them because you know they've got so much they can teach us we need to learn from people who've already been through it and made the mistakes with this fast world fast moving technology world today we can't afford to repeat other people's mistakes we need to learn from them my aim in these interviews is to try and find out what the characteristics are of successful people that make them that way, and what each of us can learn from them. Today my guest is Jay Samet, who pioneered the first video on computers, the first internet auction, digital distribution of music, ebooks and group video chat on mobile devices. Jay's raised hundreds of millions of dollars for startups, sold companies to Fortune 500 firms and taken companies public. He's presently the host of the documentary series Wall Street Journal Startup of the Year and the industry's 2014 Mobile Ambassador. He was a senior advisor to LinkedIn and has sat on the board of a dozen successful startups. Jay's sweet spot is disrupting industries with digital innovation. As a serial entrepreneur, he helped build billion dollar businesses. His most recent venture, Reality Mogul, is transforming the $11 trillion US commercial real estate market by bringing transparency and deal flow to the average investor. In their first year, they've crowdfunded over $100 million in cash-flowing commercial real estate. His last company, Uvu, with 100 million registered users, was named the 2012 Venture Company of the Year. And his video chat app was named Best App Technology in 2013. Now, Jay's got a CV that just goes on and on. One of the great things I like about entrepreneurs, as we talk often in this program, is entrepreneurs who have become successful and then give back. Um, and I've said often that I was not a great Zuckerberg fan some time ago, but... Um, looking at what he's doing around the world with bringing internet to everybody and a number of other initiatives that he's taken, um, I've decided that he's a pretty good guy. Jay's a similar character and we'll get into that in a minute. Hi Jay, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show.
2: Good day Bob, how are you?
1: I am well. Now, Jay and I both share the belief that entrepreneurs can solve the world's problems and make the world better for all of us. Um, Jay, is that what gets you up in the morning?
2: Absolutely. I mean, one of my personal heroes was Andrew Carnegie, one of the first giant billionaires in the U.S. And when he made his money, he was an immigrant that had no formal education, but he went to the public library in New York and self-trained himself. So he went and said to any city that would give him the land, he would build and stock a library free of charge. And he built over 800 libraries out there and changed the educational profile of the U.S. and the access to information became not a class or a wealth issue, but just going to your library. So when I sold my first startup, I wanted to do the same thing. I saw the Internet as the... Great equalizer for equal access to learning. And make a long story short, President Clinton uh, put me in charge of a program where we got the internet into every school in the U.S. without one dollar of taxpayer money.
1: That's great. That's, that's fantastic. That's what it's about. The, the great thing about the internet is that it, it really does give everybody access not only to information but to education but it comes down to how much you want it. If you want to be successful today, there's really nothing stopping you, providing well, you've got access to the
2: internet. I agree, Bob, and when I travel and work around the world, and I've been all over this past year, when you look at the low price uh, smartphones that are now in Asia, that are in the $20 range, yeah. you're suddenly talking about another you know billion people that will have access or unlimited and unfettered access To knowledge. So it's up to the individual if they want to watch cats playing on a piano or if they want to learn and and grow and create. And you can combine that with cloud storage and the low-cost entry to launch a global business is why you see people like Zuckerberg in their 20s able to become billionaires. This is not an oddity anymore. It's being repeated over and over again. WhatsApp, Instagram, these yeah. were companies with very small number of people and very little capital. Uh, the company I'm most proud of right now, Realty Mogul, uh, was started by a 25 year old, and first
1: year in business did a hundred million dollars with only four employees. Wow, that's great, isn't it? I guess the I guess the problem is how do we motivate people who have been deprived for so long, um, and inspire them to to a dream that I guess. You know, really is just almost a fantasy to them. How do we how do we motivate them to do that? Well, if you follow
2: the pack, you'll end up where the pack is. So it's really about not being afraid to stand out, do different. And the first rule of being a successful entrepreneur is not being afraid to fail. Right. And if if you go and speak to anybody that starts to have gray hair, and you ask them what their big regrets in in life, they're never things that they did the biggest regrets are the things that they were afraid to try and do. Yeah. And so the one advantage that we've had in the U.S. is we have a culture, the American dream, that if you try something and you fail, it's no shame. You then go and start again. I often tell the story of, of two guys that I've worked with for a long, long time. Their first company, they had a brilliant idea, they thought, why don't we hook up personal computers to traffic lights and we can make the traffic through cities better and solve this horrendous problem. Right. And they named their company Trafo Data, yeah. and they took it around to city planners who didn't know how to use computers, and they were laughed out, and they basically filed bankruptcy. Right. Bill and Paul's second company was named Microsoft.
1: Yeah. How did that do? <laughs> that seems to have done okay. <laughs> um, as an innovator, it was... Uh, Involved with eBay, LinkedIn, and so many other businesses that really changed the game, what do you look for in a startup? Presumably people come to you, they've got a, they've got a concept or a, a startup, and they say to you, what do you think? What are you looking for?
2: So first you have to start with, it's very similar to surfing. You can have the strongest arms in the world, but if there's no waves, you're not going to surf. Okay. so you're looking for what are the waves, What are the trends going on that are different? What changed in the world that opens an opportunity? So I talked a few moments ago about smartphones and the world going mobile, okay? Yeah, we now carry a a a computer in our pocket more powerful than the, all of the computing power of NASA when we put a man on the moon. Yes. So what can you now do? What can you now do when you talk about that devices can now communicate to us where we are and when we are? So there's new opportunities. There's demographic changes. Aging baby boomers will need, you know, to use um, technology for medical purposes. Right. There are new countries going on board. So you look at the the trends. The second thing you look at is you look at the team. You know, the best idea in the worst hands doesn't go anywhere. And conversely you really don't need a great idea to start a business. Some of the big incubators, Y Combinator, take on teams that don't have an idea, but they know that they have really smart, motivated people.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So one of the, I, I'm blessed to give back by teaching at, at uh, USC how to build a high-tech startup. And here's a tip that I give my students. To be a big entrepreneur, to make big money, you have to solve big problems. Right. Every day we see problems, and most people go, oh, my God, this is a problem, and they complain. If you look at a problem as something that you could solve, you may see opportunities. So every day, just write down three problems that you come across in your life. Okay. First day, it's pretty easy. By the end of the month, that's 90 things. That's 90 business ideas. Look at that list and come up with one. So uh, uh, how many times have you been to an airport and you've missed your flight? A lot. Right? (laughs) And for most of us, that's a bad day, right? So another friend of mine looked at it differently. He sat there and said, wow, I missed my flight. All these other people missed their flight. How much is it to charge to charter a plane for the 27 people? Did the math so he and his girlfriend could go for free. And Richard held up a sign that he wrote on a a whiteboard, Virgin Airlines. (laughs) And that's how Branson started the airline. He was in the music business. But he saw an opportunity that day.
3: Yeah.
2: He's launched billion-dollar businesses in five different industries, unrelated, because he looks at problems
1: as opportunities,
2: and that's all you have to do.
1: Yeah. Um, I speak to Tim Draper pretty regularly, and he, he says he looks for... The thing that he looks for first is he wants to look them in the eyes and he wants to see how much drive they have, and that's far more important to him than concept.
2: Oh, absolutely, because virtually every business that you look at is successful today pivoted somewhere along the line, okay? Yep. Um, There were two guys that started a dating site, and they said, wow, all these dating sites show these out-of-date photos. We're gonna let people put up videos It's gonna revolutionize online dating, right? Yep. And again, they start building this thing. It's not getting a lot of traction, but some of the videos were really more fun and people liked watching the videos regardless of the dating aspect. Yeah. So they changed the name of their company to YouTube.
1: Right. I didn't know that. That's, that's yeah. really interesting. And, and I done, can tell you, and conversely, well. if you talk to very
2: experienced VCs, and I've raised over $800 million, you will invariably, their biggest exit, their biggest success story, there was a board meeting where they said, should we give them more money or shut this thing down? It's going the wrong direction. And the idea is, pivot. Because smart people, once you get into what your big idea is and you start getting deeper into that field, you'll discover things that other people hadn't noticed because they hadn't spent the time to research it. And again, changing technology, changing demographics make new opportunities that never existed before. And the big companies are so busy running whatever the old way was that it doesn't make sense to, to... Cannibalize their business, and they don't focus on change.
3: Yeah, and
1: they're they're so big that they um they can't pivot when they need to. They're they're, they're dragging around this ball and chain around their neck, and it's too hard to um to to, to change their business model. One, yeah, two, and, and big... so I'll give
2: you the I'll give you this classic one that's got me so passionate right now: Realty Mogul and and commercial real estate doesn't sound like anything having to do with technology. It's an $11 trillion marketplace, a half of, of uh, $500 billion worth of commercial real estate changes hands every year. Right. And yet, you can go to anybody, the most experienced people out there and say, what is your cost of equity to buy an apartment building in, in Dallas or in New York? And they can't tell you. Right. And yet, I say to the same people, can you tell me the price of a 1988 Tickle Me Elmo doll? <laughs> and you can go on eBay and know globally exactly the price of that commodity, yet you can't tell me what capital costs. Yeah. So there's inefficiency that no one has ever thought about making a trading platform, a place for regular investors to be able to buy equity or debt in commercial property, even though it's a giant market. All right. Now, huge regulatory hurdles that Jillian Hellman had to go through and a lot of research to, to work with the regulators to make it happen, but instantly they were able to crowdfund a hundred million dollars in property with only four employees right it's fantastic it's it's, look at look at the what data allows you to do look at what tools i mean there's so much 3d printers don't even get me started on how many businesses will be disrupted this year by 3d printing yeah
1: it'll be what gutenberg did with the printing press right i I agree i think um i spoke on this program a few weeks ago and i I said that the two biggest changes i think will most disruptive things in the next few years are going to be 3d printers and um i've got a mental block for a minute and drones i think drones oh. are going to make a real mess of the transport industry which is has a lot of advantages as far as um infrastructure in cities and and um it's going to make a huge difference. It's cheaper, it's quicker, it's more direct, and we, and we take thousands of trucks off the road.
2: Well, so there's also other, other ways of looking at it. So we look at most of our life as an X, Y axis, and drones allow a, a Z axis for, for, for height. Hmm. So let me give you an example. So as I mentioned, I host this Wall Street Journal Startup of the Year where we get tons of submissions, and we look and, and, and whittle down, and at the end of the season, we pick the best startup. This year, talk about drones. Imagine if you could change an iPhone so it can detect, using uh, 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 artificial intelligence, oil and gas leaks from pipelines, right? Fairly easy to do. Straightforward concept. Now, attach that iPhone to a drone, and that can now go up and down through Alaska, through Siberia, through the desert, through anywhere. Think of how that saves the environment. Think of the... Billions of dollars that it saves in, in wasted energy. Yep. Think of how much more efficient that is than trying to figure out how to get people into those inhospitable environments and how, how quickly one simple thing, what I said at the beginning, having a super powerful computer in your pocket can
1: transform you know, the entire oil and gas industry. I was wondering the other day, why... Why hasn't somebody employed drones to find this Malaysian airliner instead of? I would have thought that it would be much quicker. They can fly much lower. Well, the the problem the problem is
2: flight time. You're talking about an area the size of the United States, and no place to go back and recharge. So, well, so if you qu- want to talk about you know big things that everybody would love to solve batteries, you're going to see over the next 10 years, the whole concept of how we store and create uh, uh, renewable energy. Batteries
1: have to change. But um, could they recharge them off um, off boats? I mean, there's, they've got plenty of boats But your flight distance and time distance, you're talking, if your boat's in L.A. You no, know. no, no, sorry. I meant if, you, if you're out um, in the supposed debris field that they're out now and they've got 12 aircraft trying to carry... Cover oh, yeah, but that, that, that
2: debris field is the size of the U.S. They yes, don't no, have it I more specific that. than that. Yeah. So so your nearest boat, I was saying, would be L.A. You, you can't get it as far as Phoenix before you have to turn around and, and recharge. Right.
3: Um,
1: 20-year-olds seem to be making the news every day. Of course, the ones that, that do have a start-up and sell them for billions of dollars are probably one in a million that have got start-ups happening. But... Um, is it that much easier to start a business today? I mean, it's um absolutely. It's still so, a daunting task to take something from nowhere and make it huge, isn't it?
2: It it's it's always, you know, a challenge to 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 build something whether it is a a local restaurant, whether it's it's an internet startup, whether it's a service industry. But here's the advantage of today. Back in my day, when I first started a company 30 years ago, you had to buy all this hardware and all this processing power and and have what we used to call iron in the back room, Mm -hmm. so your infrastructure costs were very huge. Today you can run your entire business off the cloud, you can use free software, you know, SaaS models, you can basically run it virtually. Your employees can be all over the world and if you're not paying for phone bills, you're using Uber or Skype or, or FaceTime. You're, you're able to leverage other people's manufacturing or processing. There are companies that will, you know, outsource various pieces of it for you, so you don't need as many full-time workers. And you suddenly see that the efficiency that you can get to a minimal viable product with a couple thousand dollars in the tech space and very quickly see if you have traction. And that's why it is so easy, and you see so many companies started, and yes, they don't all make it to the billion dollars, but there are many people that you don't know that have found very nice little niches sure. where they're making millions. Sure. And so my guiding philosophy is you either have to be the best in the world of what you do or the only one doing it, and therefore, by definition, you're the best. So just right. find a niche that you can defend and there's so many new areas that that pops up that technology is, again, changing.
1: 30 years ago, um, going back to the day, um, it was always difficult. We thought it was difficult then to communicate into the marketplace, you know, with, with the limited amount of media that we had then. Today it is extraordinarily difficult to communicate because of the number of vehicles um, and the, it, we're in such niche markets now.
2: See, I know the any... opposite. Bob, I've got to disagree. Yeah. Today, back back, you know, even 10 years ago, you couldn't compete with the big brands because they could spend hundreds of millions of dollars when I was sure. at Sony, we spent $2 billion a year in advertising. Right. And you had no voice that could equal that. Saying thanks to social media you can very quickly have the same reach as any of the big companies I agree, I agree. Uh, I, I'm just a guy talking about entrepreneurism and if you follow me on Twitter Jay Sammuth I've got 100,000 entrepreneurs that follow me right. uh, I can I can reach out to all over the world very quickly without spending any money and you see many brands starting that if they have a point of view it gets embraced and conversely if a brand, big or small, does something that the public doesn't like, the public's voice is strong enough to change that policy. Uh, Bank of America wanted to charge, you know, monthly for checking accounts. It went all over Twitter, went all over Facebook. They had to back down. Yep. The whole Jasmine revolution, the Arab Spring, was about social media telling dictators, we're not taking it anymore. And most of those ended up overthrowing their governments without bullets being fired.
3: Yeah.
1: So you've raised hundreds of millions of dollars for startups. Now, is crowdfunding the answer now for, again, it's hard to cut through the clutter, isn't it? But is that so the crowdfunding, crowdfunding falls the, the widest
2: gambit. So with Realty Mogul, we're basically accredited investors, so people at a right. certain financial level making an informed decision. At the other end of the spectrum is unregulated things where anybody sends up their money and it's a leap of faith whether or not you'll ever see what you were promised. Right. So I think it'll sort out. I mean, over a billion dollars have been pledged to Kickstarter projects. Yes, that, That's a phenomenon. That really shows what can go on. Yep. And let's break down what people are really saying. Crowdfunding has been around for a long, long time. Uh, for example, the first crowdfunded building in the U.S. was the pedestal for the Statue of Liberty. Wow. The French okay. made the statue, but the U.S. government, coming after the Civil War, didn't have the money really to invest in building a thing. And so thousands of Americans on average gave 60 cents to build this. Um in the music industry, for years, we we did with classical recordings, here's this great once-of-a-lifetime orchestra that's going to be conducted by such and such. Unless there's so many pre-orders, we're not making the album. Right. Um, printers would do this in the 16th and 17th centuries, saying, you know, should we go ahead and print this book unless we get pre-orders? We don't. So there are all different ways of saying crowdfunding. Today, what's great about all the various platforms is you may have a passion for something, that is not geographically tied. Maybe it's jazz aficionados from around the world. Maybe it's a bunch of magicians that want a, a special uh, deck of cards printed. All these very quickly get funded on crowdfunding platforms. So it's a form of advanced orders. Uh, what I'd be worried about is the get-rich-quick schemes that are unregulated, that are yeah. not following the SEC rules. Right. That's, you know, with every, with every new technology, there's always somebody that wants the, the, the quick way to separate the public from their money.
1: Yeah. And speaking of magic, you're um, uh, a member of the Magic Castle, aren't you? Did I read that? Yes. I,
2: my, 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 my hobby and passion, and how I paid my way through college, I'm a performing magician.
1: <laughs> now, th- this, is, this is my opportunity. I have been living in Los Angeles for 25 years, never been to the Magic Castle, always wanted to go. Anytime so you want, I'll give you passes. Half a million people, I'm asking you. <laughs> Any, you, you can
2: go anytime, and anybody that, that's listening to the show, you can you know, ping me on Twitter and I'll send you passes. I'm, I'm super passionate. But let me tie the two together. So here I'm considered one of the foremost authorities on startups and, and using technology. And if it hadn't been for my personal passion, I wouldn't have discovered the following business story. So when I was a kid, there was a magic store in every in every mall, and that kind of disappeared. And And you can buy tricks online from companies, but where does new magic get discovered? So I saw a kid doing an amazing trick on YouTube and couldn't figure it out, wanted to do it, and basically, if you you know send him money by PayPal, he sends you a video on how to do it. And in right. some magic tricks, we have little secret devices, so he needs to mail you something. Yep. So, love this trick, great trick, and, and Daniel sends me the thing, but he sends me the wrong thing. So I call him up and he goes, I, I'm really sorry, we're, we're new to this whole pick, pack, and ship thing. They did $2 million their first year. Wow. Wait, this is more merchandise than a David Copperfield sells. Wow. So what happened is the whole magic community went and embraced him and said, wow, you've just figured out how to be the store, and it's called illusionist.com, I'll give them a plug, right. but how to become the place for any young person that invents a new trick to get the reputation for doing it, get the credit for doing it, and have a way to monetize. And you'll find this in every passion. Yep. So, and this isn't just U.S. people. They also then post videos of people doing these
1: tricks on the four corners of the globe. Right. So it, it's become a very small and connected world. Yeah, it sure has. Now we, we're getting close to running out of time. As I mentioned earlier, you have been a giant in um, philanthropy and, and helping all sorts of causes, um, mm. including tsunami aid, ca- um, Katrina relief, and a number of other things. And you um, spearheaded the Internet's first auction Um what fuels this philanthropic drive of yours? I've been very blessed. I grew
2: up a son of a school teacher, you know, very lucky to have the, the the blessings that I've had, and it's up to those that have to help. You don't judge a society by looking at the people at the top. You judge a society by what they do for the people at the bottom. I agree. And my personal expertise is in how to help empower people to make a change. But in some situations there's, you know, disasters that happen. I mean, when, when the tsunami hit, it, it, it was, yeah. you know, devastating and it's we weren't real. really able to twist the yeah. arm of, of every, every music star out there to go and support. Sure, And, you know, it's a, it's an obligation, but you get so much more from giving and getting involved. You know, every company should have a cause marketing project and Can every you- year, my companies always do. It's great for team building, and it also gives you purpose because the purpose of life is to have a life filled with purpose.
1: I agree entirely. Jay, you're a great guy. Thanks very much for joining me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really do appreciate it. I'll see you Saturday at Metal. Now, how does, if somebody wants to find out more about you, what do they do? Where do they um, go?
2: You can follow me on Twitter, J-A-Y-S-A-M-I-T, or there's a Wikipedia page that somebody put up that's pretty good, or you can link to me on LinkedIn. Look forward to communicating with anybody and uh, helping entrepreneurs
1: be successful. Thanks, mate. Jay, I hope to catch up with you soon, probably Saturday, I guess. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show right after this short break.
0: You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob
1: Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit radio show. Coming to you this week from my hometown of Los Angeles. Another beautiful week in California. California climate here is just absolutely perfect. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that I'd attended a presentation by Thomas Suarez, who's a 14-year-old app developer who gave a tremendous presentation at TED a couple of years ago and was highly at the presentation I went to was highly critical of the current state of US education. He um, mentioned that while 100% of Chinese high schools students could write code, only 5% of American high school children could write code. Now, I fished around during the week to see if I could find out um, what the statistics were for places like um, Germany and England and Australia and others, but I was unable to, but I would suggest that they're probably not much different than America. So... 5% of American kids can write code, 100% of of Chinese kids can write code, and we are in a technology world. It's a bit of a worry, isn't it? And uh, could this be contributing to the fact that Chinese are doing better than anybody else, including Silicon Valley, Valley companies, in developing and marketing online products? I mean, they've got a huge domestic market. We'll give them that. But nevertheless, um, if you have a look at um, Alibaba against Amazon, or Alipay against PayPal, or QQ against Facebook, or WeChat against WhatsApp, I mean, we're getting murdered in all of them. And, you know, we really need to make some changes. Um, WeChat's much more than just a social network product. It's it's an e-commerce platform now, and it's even threatening Alibaba's marketing position market position in China. And you know, it only took Alipay eight months to build UEBAO into a hundred billion dollar cash management fund business. Eight months, hundred billion. she Now these companies are very soon going to invade the US market. They're going to be competing with us head to head. Huawei spent 10 years to become the domestic market leader in China and in the next 10 became the world's leading telecom vendor. 10 years. We really have to have a very good hard look at our education system. Um, I spoke, a couple of days ago with um, Tim Draper and next week we are covering the um, his plan for six Californias and one of the things that he says we need to do is we really need to shake up our education system. It simply isn't working. We're teaching people shit they don't need to know and we're not pe- teaching them stuff that they do need to know. So, I don't know. We need to do something. And you sit there and you watch these deadheads in Washington. I mean, seriously, how can we have, what, 600, 700 members of the Senate and the House and every single one of them's a fuckwit? I mean, they're not doing anything for us. It's time we stood up and said, hey, listen, we need to get a government that governs and we need to get an education system that educates. And we need to do it now, you know, this, this, and I don't know, this um, do-nothing Congress, I mean, it's not funny, it's bloody tragic, and it's costing all of us, it's costing all of us now, it's costing all of us a shed load of money, and it's costing us our future, we need to do something, Anyway. One thing I love about being a speaker and, and giving presentations about business all over the planet, and you know, I think at last count I'd spoken in 53 different countries, is apart from seeing a lot of the world and having a good time and meeting a lot of people in a lot of industries in different cultures, which is fantastic, um, but at the end of every presentation, anywhere in those 53 countries, And I've spoken in in Moscow and I've spoken in Iran and I've spoken in South Africa and I've spoken all over the place, a lot of times in the Middle East. And during question time, the questions are pretty much always the same because business is business, no matter where you are on the planet or what business you're running, doesn't matter whether it's a, you know, you're, you're selling apps or you're running a dry cleaning shop, makes no difference. The expertise that we try to impart each week, my guests and and, in email, when we do our email um, segment, these answers help people all over the world. Now, my first email today comes from Dylan McCourt from Cork in Ireland, and Dylan writes, Dear Bob, thank you for your very interesting and informative show. I saw you speak in Cork a couple of years ago, and your presentation was very impressive. Not great, I'm disappointed. I hope you might be able to come back here as we need more international expertise rather than just successful locals. Well, thank you very much. I've actually spoken in um, Ireland a lot and I enjoy it. I have a small local retail retail store and unfortunately a big shopping mall has just recently opened nearby and it is really making it difficult for our local retailers to compete. What can we do as they have so much more to offer, including movies and parking and a large range of stores? What do you suggest? Dylan, it's a very familiar story, but this is where a couple of things become really seriously important. I've got a gift store near where I live that has spectacular window displays that attract people to come and look at the interesting and quirky things that they have at their shop. Now, you can't get these things in the big... um, box or or shopping centres, they employ a very creative young student merchandiser who's still doing classes, It's not very expensive, but has a wonderful flair for the spectacular. You also need to really understand the market segments you're going for and ensure that you have the right product mix to appeal to them. Not just stuff that you like, but stuff that really appeals to your target market, and When your products are a little unusual and you're not selling exactly the same as your competitors, then you're in a position where you can increase your margins a little. And this is where sensational customer service really begins to differentiate your small store from the stores in the big centers. A few years ago, I was retained by a shopping center, a suburban shopping center, to try and beat a major Westfield centre. Now, you know, you're really up against a few things, covered parking and, you know, a multitude of stores and a whole bunch of things. Well, we, we got everybody together and we had a meeting with them and told them that they had to produce phenomenal customer service. We gave them a week to come up with some brilliant ideas and then we went back, we did some customer service training, we um, put on entertainment out in the street, um, and we put down little red carpets out the front of every store, we offered people cookies and, and coffee and a whole range of other things. We did a whole bunch of promotions. We made it fun to go shopping, and guess what? We went gangbusters. Saturday afternoons with the entertainment and the people in the streets, it was packed, so you can do it. And um, on its way to you is a copy of my latest book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, which has been a huge success for me. And I thank you for that. That'll be off to you tomorrow. I've run out of time for any more questions, but I'll handle a couple more next week. And if you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobprichard.com. Subscribe to my monthly newsletter. We've got a newsletter going out at the moment. Send in your questions. Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Google+. Be my friend on LinkedIn. Be my contact. We use LinkedIn a hell of a lot and it's fantastic. And don't forget, if you've got a particular guest you would like me to interview or a particular topic you'd like me to address, please email me at bob at bobpritchard, I hope you've enjoyed the show. We're very pleased to have been bringing you this show since 2011. We've just been renewed for another year, so I'll be with you at the same time next week, no matter where you are in the world, to discuss the critical issues that confront small business everywhere. As I mentioned, next week I'll be speaking to the legendary Tim Draper about his bold Six Californias ballot initiative. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. My thanks to everybody at Voice America Business for helping me get on air again this week. And this is Bob Pritchard, and I hope you have a fantastic coming week.